Well, good morning. Steve, it is good to see you back, and I can tell you have been observing the patterns of the ocean currents because you used the word migrate when you were up here. So I know you've been, you've been watching animals and birds migrating. So we are glad to have you back, though, brother. It's always good to be around Steve and such a, such a positive energy that comes with you. And may, may I be more like you this morning. So Steve is the one who processes the payroll checks. So we're just, I'm just trying to plant that uh, little bit of. <laughs> Just reminding him who loves him, right? So uh, I'm looking forward to tonight. So we've got at 5 o'clock tonight at the Central Congregation down at 6 and Izzard Corner. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, um, an area-wide worship service, a singing service down there. And so um, looking forward to that. There is, will be designated parking at the Blue Cross Blue Shield parking lot, which is right on the, I guess, the east side of uh, the main auditorium. And then parking lots um, along the, the sides, I guess, the, the north and the south sides of the building. And then, of course, there's no metered parking on the weekend. So uh, they will have some, some guys down there in orange vests that will be pointing the right way. They've got security in place and so uh, prepared for uh, a good crowd tonight. So um, speaking of directions, there's a saying that uh, if you don't know where you're going, how will you know when you get there, right? And it's, that's kind of one of those hmm statements, right? A kind of deep thinking, which is one thing I've never been accused of doing. But uh, even when you use Google Maps, you know, it, it pops up this little, you know, flag pin. You know, you type in the address and, and you try to follow the instructions. And all you get is this map pin icon saying you have reached your destination. And that's really cool, much cooler in a British accent, which is how I have my Google Maps set to, right? And so, but I was joking around with someone one time. I said it would really be cool if they had like an Arkansas accent that would tell you, uh, you know, an Arkansas accent voice that would tell you where to go. And this guy said, I've got one. It's called wife. And so, but anyway, all right, that's a joke, right? It's really a joke. I don't mean that seriously, but back to Google Maps. So if, if you've never been on that particular street you're going to or that particular location, you're still left determining to some degree where exactly is that map pin, you know, especially if you're in an industrial area. We've got some baseball practice going on uh, kind of in an industrial park, and so it'll say you've reached the address. Well, which building is it in, right? And so there's still some degree of... of, of vagueness to, to where is the exact destination. But from the beginning, God has been guiding humanity to a destination. That is eternal fellowship with Him. That's God's motive, His, His method, His movement for us is eternal relationship with Him. And we haven't always realized it. And we certainly uh, haven't always appreciated it. And God has not been vague as to the destination. So the plan at times now has been veiled in, in kind of prophetic imagery and, and foreshadowing um, you know, events. But His intention has always been to live with us in harmony for eternity. And so we are in Deuteronomy today. And, and while heaven and hell are not explicitly mentioned uh, in, in this book, you could say that this is the first time in Scripture we are shown sort of two destinations for the human race. And so one is blessing or bliss, and the other is curse or destruction. 
And so while it doesn't refer to heaven and hell, that terminology we read in the New Testament, this is where it becomes clear that there must be something like that that's out there. And so Deuteronomy chapter 30 is one of the more important passages in Scripture since Paul makes a big deal about it in his New Testament writing that we know of as Romans. And so I want you to follow along in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to ask Chris to come up and read for us our Scripture today, which is Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this will be verses 1 through 20 this morning. Chris. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I have commanded you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you Again, from all the nations where the Lord has scattered you, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I have commanded you today. And the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for their good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment which I command you today is not mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over, uh, which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, 
that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is life, and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. Thanks, Chris. So Moses is, is at this point, we've, we've seen this over the last week, that he's about to hand the Israelites off to Joshua. And so Joshua's going to lead them into the promised land. And so the people entered into a covenant with God, relationship with God at Mount Sinai. I will be your God, he said, and you will be my people. And God said, this is how I want you to live. So he gives them this law. And so Deuteronomy is this renewal of the covenant. And so uh, this new generation prepares to, to carry the banner of this kingdom of God into the new land. And so God tells them how to live lives of integrity and how to live lives of justice and how to live a life that pleases God. And so God lays out what are referred to as these blessings and curses. And so he says, if you're faithful to all that I am I'm putting before you and all that you say you will do for me today, if you're faithful to that, then I, God, will bless you. And I will bless you in all of these ways. So if you do this, then, then I'm going to do this. And that's chapter 28, right? But then the last part of chapter 28, God says, if you disobey then you, and you're unfaithful, then all these curses are going to come upon you. And so some argue that there's no more fearsome chapter in all of Scripture than, than this particular chapter in Deuteronomy. And so ten verses into these curses, and you know that you've got about you know, 40 or so more, and you're thinking, okay, God, I get it, right? I, I get this. And as fearful and as ferocious as these curses are, the blessings are astounding. They're astounding. And so you wonder, does God suffer from some sort of personality imbalance, right? It seems so extreme. It seems like such an extreme swing from, from blessing to curse. So, so gracious, yet so deadly, and so loving, yet so holy. And so perhaps this is the first time since Genesis that we can clearly see this evidence of a cosmic tension that, that we have brought about, humanity has brought about. And so we have a holy God. We have a God of justice. We have a God who must punish sin. We have a God who told Moses that, he, that God cannot let any sin go unpunished. And yet at the same time, we have a God of endless love, endless faithfulness, endless forgiveness, endless desire for a relationship with His creation. And so it's because of who we are, because of who Israel is, this, this sin-prone humanity that we have this unresolved tension created here. So how can this God be faithful to who He is and be faithful to, well, who He is, right? And so God will punish every sin because and He's not going to do it because He's not good. God will not punish every sin because He's not a good God, God must punish every sin because He is so good. Because He's a good God. Think about this. If, we witness, if a judge in our judicial system witnessed a crime, and we see them witness a crime, and the judge is like, meh, it's like, meh, don't worry about it, it's alright. What would we think about them? we say, well, they're a terrible judge, right? But on the other hand, you've got God who wants to forgive us. 
who wants to love us and wants to, to never let us go. It's like, what is that? It's because He's so good. He's so good. And we struggle with this. We struggle with this, the, the, who God is. And so we need a God who is either fully good in terms of His love, but, but not in terms of His holiness, or fully good in terms of His holiness, but not in terms of His love. See, we, we have a hard time understanding how can God mix, how can He intertwine all of it? How can He be like this? There's no way a, a God who is completely good can be completely holy, right? How does this go together? Well, the answer is yes, there is. There is absolutely a way. And this is the basis of the Gospel. This is what the good news of Jesus is all about. And so there's this unresolved narrative tension here in, in the Old Testament. And so Augustine declared around the 4th century that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Because you can't understand the grace of God except through Jesus the Christ. And through Jesus, we come to understand how God's grace has been poured out starting in the pages of Genesis all along the way. But these forces have been at work, this tension, this, this narrative arc throughout all of Scripture. And it's still there today. We feel it today. And so until God's eternal kingdom is fully revealed at the end of the ages, we're still going to live in this tension. It's this good versus evil. And so... What keeps us going, what keeps us on track is this foreshadowing, this, this looking for, this pointing forward towards the destination. And so God reveals the future through Moses when he says that we're all going to fail to live like we should live. We're all going to fail to do that. And so what do he say in chapter 30 and verse 1? When you have experienced all these things, both the blessings and the curses I have set before you, you will reflect upon them in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. It's like, what? What <laughs> What did he just say? He's leading us into a land. What is, what is, did he say banished? What is, verse 1 says, you're going to be scattered. You're going to be banished. And I think among all of the curses that are listed here by God, the most severe has got to be, you're going to be sent away from this very land of promise. This land that your ancestors have been looking to, that I've been leading you to, you're going to be sent away from it. You're going to be plundered. You're going to be taken captive. You will fail. And you will bring all the curses of this covenant down upon you. Now, you know, in America, we love our motivational speakers. We love motivational thoughts. We love little, little JPEGs that we can copy and paste and, and post on our social media to kind of, you know, pick us up, lift each other up during the day. Here's what you can do to, to, to do better. Here's how you can live, right? We, we love this stuff. Deuteronomy is a wonderful vision of integrity and human life at the highest level. It's what God lays out here. And so in a sense, Moses is giving this series of motivational sermons. And so he says, live like this, do like this, be like this. And it's great, great. And so when you think about a motivational book or motivational speaker, how do they end their motivational speech? In conclusion, you're all going to fail, <laughs> right? You're all, there's no way you're going to do any of this. I'm wasting my breath. 
What kind of motivational speaker is that? It's like, no way. But this is basically how Moses ends his final words to the Israelites. That's terrible motivational speaking. You're not going to fill auditoriums. You're not going to fill coliseums with speeches like that if you're trying to make a living at it. But it's great. It's great in prompting us to ask, well, then now what? (laughs) Then now what? And so Moses tells them and us, he says, you know, you know what you ought to do, but you don't do it. You don't do it. I mean, this isn't hard to understand. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what you ought to do. But you're not going to do it, he says. I mean, how many books have been written telling people how to succeed, how to have success, how to get ahead, how to be better, how to improve your life? How many books have been written about that? How many papers? How many times, how many ways can it be said? And why do we keep having books coming out? Why do people keep writing about this? Why do we keep going and searching out these motivational pick-me-ups? We know, basically, how we should live. The problem is, we don't have strength to do it. (laughs) We do not have the strength to do it. We can't solve the problem that that, that human beings know that, that we should do, and we can't. We can't solve that problem. I'm not even sure we will. We, let me just say, we won't solve it. The Apostle Paul lays this out, looking forward. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says about himself, he says, for I don't understand what I'm doing. He says, I, I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good. It's not the law's fault that I can't do this. The law is good. But now it's no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I want to do the good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the very evil I do not want. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. Same problem for Paul. Same problem for Moses and the Israelites. Same problem for us. We don't need more books to tell us how to live. We need the power to do what we do not have the power to do on our own. You know what to do, and you will never do it, right? I know what to do, and I don't do it unless we get some help outside of ourselves. And so our human heart is bent towards sin, towards this self-fulfillment. And so God wants to give us a new heart. He calls it a circumcised heart. And so what does it mean to have a circumcised heart? It's it's when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. And so John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. We all know know that song. But that's not the only one he wrote. There's another John Newton hymn. And I don't think we ever sung it. At least I can't remember ever singing it growing up in church. It's called... We were sinners once, as you are. And the last phrase of this song, I think, expresses this idea beautifully. It says, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen His beauty, are joined to part no more. And so there it is. What does it mean? It means our pleasure 
and our duty are now the same. They're one. That's a circumcised heart. So how can God do this for us? Well, if, if you grow up in church, you you're constantly see this word circumcision, right? And so when you're, when you're little, you ask a question. No one ever wants to tell you what it means. And so somewhere in middle school, junior high, you know, you're talk, talking about covenant and this comes up. And so somebody raises their hand, teacher, what, what is circumcision? And, and the teacher tells you. And you're like, what? Why, why couldn't God just ask for a tattoo or something, right? And so, but it, it's gross and it's bloody. Which, of course, is the point. That's the point of it. In ancient Near East, when you made a covenant, you didn't just sign your name on, on, on a piece of paper. The literal phrasing here is cutting a covenant. To cut a covenant. You remember Genesis chapter 15, we saw when, when God directed Abraham. You know, He said, you cut these animals up. Cut them in two. And lay them out here. And, and God passed through this fire pot pass through these dissected animals, right? And God promised Abraham heirs and a blessing and, and a nation. This is how you acted out the curse of a covenant. This is the actual phrasing in the Old Testament to cut a covenant. And this is the idea of it. It's effectively saying, if I don't do all the words that I am, I am stating in my covenant today, then, then may I be cut to pieces like this. That's what they were effectively saying. You act out the curse of the covenant. Can you imagine if that's how we did contracts today? <laughs> I think there'd be a lot fewer people breaking their contracts. So, but understand, that this, you see this, this circumcision is bloody. It's gory, it's it's creepy. It's this way of showing the penalty of sin because sin is so intimate. It's so serious. It's so gross. And so it's like, God, where are you leading us? We're, 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 we're trying to follow this map. Where are we going here? Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, in Christ, you also were circumcised. Not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands but by the removal of the fleshly body. That is, through the circumcision done by Christ. And so Paul's talking about the cross. When Jesus was on the cross. When you become a Christian, you don't just, you know, like just stop by the counter and pick up a circumcised heart. You get a circumcised heart because of the circumcision of Christ. And so what is that? On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the penalty, the curse of the covenant. That's what he went through. What's the curse? To be cut off. And we know this outside of Scripture, right? If you ever wrong somebody, if you ever you know, get on somebody's bad side, what are they going to do? They're going to cut you off, right? They're not going to answer your calls. They're not going to you know, return your emails. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to cut you off. We understand what this means. If you lie or you cheat or you wrong somebody, there's always a penalty for that, really. God says, if, if, if you disobey me, the penalty is to be cut off from me. Cut off from the light, cut off from life. And on the cross, Jesus was getting this cosmic experience of the penalty that we deserve. That's being cut off from God. And so think back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, were, when, they, when they sinned, they were put out, they were cut off from the garden, from that relationship, that, that beautiful paradise with God, right? And so, who was put at the entrance of the garden? There was cherubim with a sword, right? Guarding the way to the tree of life. 
which means the only way they were going to get back into the garden was to go under the sword. And so on the cross, Jesus went under the sword. And in that sense, He was circumcised. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen His beauty, are joined to part no more. That's What a beautiful imagery there. And so what is that beauty that we see? Well, here's the rest of the verse to that song. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear His pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. When, when we see, when our mind, our heart sees what Jesus did for us on the cross, when He takes this cosmic cutting off for each one of us, when we see that, then, then that's when we are transformed. Our heart is transformed. And so Moses seems first to be pointing the Israelites down this road of time. Because it, first he says, you're going to fail. <laughs> you're going to fail and all the curses are going to come upon you. The worst of which is going to be, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be cast out of the land. But God will bring you back. God will bring you back and circumcise your heart. That's a promise of a new covenant that God will make because we can't live up to the old one. And so then in chapter 11, verse 11 here in Deuteronomy 30, this commandment I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it too remote. It is not in heaven as though one must say, who will go up to heaven to get it for us and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. And it is not across the sea as though one must say, who will cross over to the other side of the sea and get it for us and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. See, one of the things about the, the, the ancient Eastern culture is, is you brought a sage in. You brought a, a fortune teller. You brought a mystic in to kind of interpret the signs, interpret you know, the, the, what the gods were trying to say. Moses says, you're not going to need that. You, you don't have to go across the sea and bring, bring a sage back over to explain this to you. You know this. God has made it clear. For the thing is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your mind so that you can do it. Look, I have set before you today life and prosperity on the one hand and death and disaster on the other. And so at one level it seems Moses is saying, you've got no excuse today. There's no excuse. God's law is clear. He's given it to you. He's brought it to you. You don't need anybody else to explain this to you. The Shema we talked about last week, the Shema... The here, O Israel, is all laid out there. And so when he says it's not too difficult for you, it's, it's near you, he's right. It is. They have no excuse. No excuse. <laughs> and how depressing. How depressing because we need an excuse, right? We're looking for... It can't be about me. It can't be up to me. It can't be my fault. He says you have no excuse for not doing this. And yet you can't do it. <laughs> I got no excuse for not doing it, but you tell me I can't do it. This is it's, it's boggling, right? So he's already told them they won't do it. You will not do what God has asked you to do. So is this hopeless? Is this hopeless? It's not too difficult. He says it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So God, where are you leading us? Where is this going? Paul lays this out in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 where he says, For Christ is the end of the law with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The one who does these things will live by them. That's what we just read, by the way. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Who, who, who's going to make this possible for us? Don't, don't say who's going to make this possible. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the Word of faith that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Jesus came from heaven to save us. Jesus descended into the abyss to save us. If we try to save ourselves, it's like telling Jesus what you did doesn't matter. What you did doesn't matter. Because I'm trying to figure out how to do something a little extra. Try to do more than what you did, Jesus. That's what we're saying. See, only the Gospel is the Word that is not too difficult for us. Only the Gospel is what will not crush us. And so Moses is telling the people, someday, someday the gospel is going to go forth. But for them, it's like, it's like that destination flag on a map. They, they've, they've never been there. And so they can't quite figure out exactly where is God leading us. The blessings and the curses, they point forward to heaven and to hell. But do you see how they're not parallel? They're not parallel. See, if you end up in hell... It will be your fault. You deserved it. You've rejected Christ. You've rejected God's grace. You've rejected His gift of salvation. You deserve what you get. But if you end up in heaven, there is no way, no way you deserve it. No way. Because that possibility has been accomplished for us. It's been given for us. And may we never give anyone the impression that hell is deserved and heaven is deserved. Hell is deserved. Heaven is not. And just look at the way blessings and curses are talked about to understand this. this the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel would say that these are equal because if, if you do this and you do this and you do this, then you get blessed. And if you do this and you do this and do this, then you get cursed. And one commentator illustrates how if you do wrong, you deserve the cursing. But if you do right, you don't deserve it, but it appropriates the blessing. Not deserve it. And so obedience is the way to appropriate the blessing that Jesus Christ has deserved for us. And I think it's clear in Deuteronomy. And it's carried throughout God's plan, revealed up to the resurrection of Christ. And so we read earlier in Colossians how Paul revealed our circumcision of the heart is by the circumcision of Christ. And what is it that has made this possible that was not possible for the Israelites? What do we have that was not possible for them then? Look in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And beginning in verse 11. Here's what Paul says. In Christ, 
Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How? Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, those who who had been exiled to destruction are made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. That is the good news. That's the good news that the Israelites could could not even imagine. They couldn't fathom it. But it's the good news that God intended when He breathed life into this creation. It's the good news that we rest in today. That there is no way we can earn our path to heaven. Jesus Christ has opened that door and He will carry us there. We must go through Him, in Him. And He's shown us the way. Circumcision of the heart. Being baptized in Christ. Dying to our old self. Shedding that old flesh, the flesh of a sinful heart. And accepting that new heart that God gives us through His grace and His mercy and His love. That is the hope. That is the hope of the Gospel. That's the hope the Israelites could not understand. That's the hope revealed to us that we will, living faithful in Christ, one day fully understand. And what a great day that will be. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? Do you need God? to circumcise your heart this morning? Is there sin that you just cannot seem to to shake? Sin that you're clinging to, that that you just don't know how to break free from? You lay that at the cross and let Christ break that for you. When you give your life to Him, you confess Him as Lord. Confess your sins. Give your life. Die in baptism. God will raise you up in a new life with the promise, the hope of eternal life, the gift of His Spirit to guide, encourage, and remind you each step of the way of our eternal home. This morning as we're assembled together, if we can pray for you for encouragement, if we can celebrate your decision to be baptized into Christ, become a child of God, and receive His eternal promise this morning, we would love to be a part of that. We're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement. If we can help in any way, will you come?